Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of February 2013. I always tell newcomers at the beginning of the broadcast rather than pest you all the way through it that uh, you should make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Lots of audios for download for free and you can start to understand the system you're born into and how it's arranged, how it was arranged a long time ago in fact by very powerful people forming their foundations and their clubs. Uh, with the intent of running the world properly, that is properly, that means efficiently, that means all of you, the way that you live and everything else, and they would also take over uh, the resources, or the natural resources of the world. Everything you need to live on, is, is, and it's happening as you live today. You see monopolies and monopolies over water, gas, energy, oil, all the rest of it, even food too. So that's a big, big agenda, plus of course I've got academia on board with them at the top. And academia is pushing for massive changes. This is the century of change, they call it, the 21st century. That's what they call it in academia. That's when the whole agenda has been on the go for well over 100 years comes to be fulfilled in your lifetime. So we're going through the big changes. Remember, two, you're the audience who bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I don't have shares in any products that are sold. All I have is the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website to keep me ticking over. Uh, or fluttering, sometimes it's just sinking as well. So it's up to you, the listeners, to keep me going by buying them and donating as well, if possible. And from the US to Canada, remember, you can still use personal checks and international postal money orders from the post office. You can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union money grant and PayPal once again. And again, straight donations are really seriously welcome as we go through uh, inflation, of course, and devaluation of currencies across the planet. As I say, if you if you really understand the system that you're in, it's quite blatant, really. It's in your face today. It's just that the media doesn't play it up that way. They play it down, in fact, or they misdirect you into some other thing that's happening. But this is the whole agenda. The world is being guided through all the crashes, and the, the austerity program has to be brought in somehow, and that's why, why they brought the banks down at that time. The, the banks all colluded in, in this. They lost nothing. They gained a lot, actually, but they lost nothing. And devaluation of currencies, and uh, of course, you're being forced into austerity as, as the big boys who wanted to take over all the resources in the world said a long time ago, over 100 years, eventually all your spending money, your free spending money would go to pay fees and licenses and fuel, uh, energy. Uh, and so on, all the vital things that you need, food and water, that kind of thing. And that's really what the agenda is supposed to be. They're fed up with you wasting all their resources, you see. Apparently they claimed it a long, long time ago. And that's why what you're going through today. And if you look at the United Nations and all of its multitudes of organizations working on all every single facet of humanity and society, it's staggering. You need more than a uh, hundred staff just working full time, trying to keep up with what they, they churn out there. And another, another hundred just to check into the thousands of organizations that belong to them. Full-time jobs. You can't do it all yourself. 
or retain it in your memory. In fact, it's just too many. And that's how they've done it all, by this massive parallel government that they have of non-governmental organizations that are paid constantly to lobby, big money to lobby governments. The governments are all picked again by the big foundations that fund the NGOs, so they're willing to listen to them and push through agendas on behalf of the public, you see. And that's what the NGOs pretend to, to represent. You don't vote in the NGOs. You don't vote in their paymasters of the big privately owned foundations, unelected again. You don't vote in the United Nations. Uh, you run privately, and that's the big kicker to all of this. Folk haven't really woken up to this fact that you're run by private organizations, and you always have been. Back with more after these messages. Folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and talking about the big agenda. And it really is everything. And uh, I've mentioned for many, many years uh, that any system you could imagine that you could start up to, to, to fight it or replace it with generally is already in existence. It's started up by the opposition. They, they give you your oppositions to all the main things that are happening. They're already tailor-made for you to jump into. They give you heroes all through your life to follow and lead up the garden path. They've always done this. Look at all the well-meaning folk who were brainwashed again into the greening movement and followed all the, the green peace and all the rest of it, only find out as part of the big establishment is going to force us all into austerity, vegetarianism down the road, and, and really we're just uh, headed for extinction. And so they, they always give you the, your leaders be very, very careful. Now, in the 70s and, and, and the 80s, 1980s, there was had the corporate raiders, and the corporate raiders, of course, were private guys who noticed that some big corporations, were, which were generally family-owned, the old ones, uh, the families didn't own the, the dominant shares, and they, they ran the companies and the factories and so on, uh, and uh, really un, not in the most profitable way because they kept older people on in the job and so on, didn't fire them, etc., because they knew that their responsibility, that was the old way of doing business. So your responsibility to your employees and, and the corporate raiders came in and bought out the, the dominant shares and then kicked out all the old guys, sold off a lot of their stuff and then so-called streamlined it was the term that they used, streamlined the business and then just sell them off immediately. Most of them flopped because they sold out a lot of the, the essential things that they needed to run the business. Doesn't matter. This goes on and on and on and on and understand it's really weird, isn't it? We're all living under something called money that a few people control privately uh, at the top. We don't elect them either, and often you don't even know who they are. And and we think we live in a free society. And these companies and corporations often they get bailed up with your tax money when they make their private business mistakes. So, or, or which is not it's not mistakes actually. They're manufacturing. They're too big to fail, as you say. They can't get prosecuted. They can't go down the tubes if you close them down. That's what they claimed in a way. And personally, I think we should be in like uh, Iceland and let them all fold, and then then charge them all, charge them all. But it doesn't happen that way because money rules the world, and the guys who rule the money rule the world. And this article shows you they're now moving in to read retirement accounts, and it says. 
The feds want your retirement accounts, and quietly behind the scenes, the groundwork is being laid for federal government confiscation of tax-deferred retirement accounts such as IRAs. Slowly, the cat's been let out of the bag. Since last January 18th, in a little-known interview with Richard Cordray, acting head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Bloomberg reported that the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is weighing whether it should take on a role in helping Americans. I hate that word. You always should cringe when you hear they want to help you. Manage the $19.4 trillion they put into retirement savings, a move that would be the agency's first foray into consumer investments. That thought generates some skepticism, it says here. And it says that uh, days later in January 24th, President Obama re-nominated Cordray as a CFPB director, even though his recess appointment was not due to expire until the end of 2013. One day later, in the first significant resistance uh, to President Obama's concentration of presidential power, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., unanimously said that Obama's recess appointments to the National Labor Relations Board are unconstitutional. Similar litigation testing the Cordray appointments to the CFPB is in the pipeline. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is created by uh, the 2,319-page Dodd-Frank legislation is a new and little-known bureau with wide-ranging powers. Placed within the Federal Reserve, a corporation privately owned by member banks, the CFPB is insulated from oversight by either the President or Congress. As budget not subject to legislative control, it's not even clear that a new president can replace the CFPB director on taking office. Unusual legal and political environments have a significant impact on the CFPB. With Cordray's recess appointment in doubt, several questions remain unanswered. What will become of the CFPB when Cordray's appointment is found invalid? An indicate comes from the NRLB, which operated unconstitutionally for years without a quorum. It says, in 2007, the Senate threatened uh, no NLRB nominations reported out of committee. And it goes on and on this article. I'll put the whole thing up tonight. But it's interesting because, I mean, in other words, it's like the corporate raiders. So they're eyeing their IRAs and they want to grab the money and start doing their own investments. And, of course, taking the lion's share of all the interest as they lend out to other countries that are stagnating and exorbitant interest, too. But, of course, the IRAs will stay the same. They won't, you won't get anything out of that. And if they fold, of course, your IRAs go with it. So everything's happening the way it's supposed to go because we're living in an incredible uh, time of open Almost legal, you can call it legal uh, corruption, because the boys who own the banks give you your legal system too, and they're not going to prosecute themselves. Uh, another thing too is to do with Africa. Africa, you know, has had so much money pumped into it over centuries, actually. And yeah, the big boys and uh, that, that from other countries in there um, looted the gold and the silver, the uranium, everything they can get hold of. Still doing it, of course, and that's what uh, Africom's uh, going to be doing shortly. That's what they're really setting up big time for as the U.S. Army moves into across Africa. But the thing is, too, Africa's always been run like some other countries. You've got to understand that there's no, no such thing in the human gene as a thing called democracy. It's a, someone's idea, you understand. Sometimes it's a front for something else. Most often it is, actually. But it's not a neat thing in the human gene to have this thing called democracy, as you know it, that is. The closest you get to democracy, natural democracy, is, say, American Indians, or people who have vanished, in fact, from the past, 
uh, like like old Scottish clans or something, where the people would get together and discuss everything that mattered to them before any decision was made, and everyone got to, to have their say. But that's long gone. The present-day democracy just demands that you vote someone in that's presented to you, and then they do whatever they want, because they're already selected before you even hear them by the Council on Foreign Relations or members that run the world. So Africa, anyway, definitely that doesn't have the democracy gene. And they have, they've traditionally always looked up to a really strong man, often a tyrant, actually. And uh, and that's who they tend to respect. And if he's not a tyrant, they'll overthrow him, and some other guy will, will become the big heavy guy at the top. But uh, they're very corrupt in their ways. They got a little bit overboard with it, more so than the West. The West, they know how to do it better, quiet offshore investments, things like that. In Africa, they tend to show off the cash, and that leads to their downfall. So the Nigerian president spent $1 million of aid money meant for poverty-stricken country on star-studied festival featuring Beyonce and Jay-Z. This is money was released for the thir- for this day music festival in Lagos 2006. It was money from the Bielsa State Poverty Alleviation Fund in Nigeria. Beyonce and JC uh, uh, performed at the festival along with other American performers to tell the world through music that Nigeria's time has come. <laughs> so he spent a million dollars in aid money for his big, big uh, to-do. And... Um, a letter stamped and signed by Bielsa state officials in 2006 revealed that President Good Luck Jonathan, then the governor of the state, released 150 million Nigerian Neras from the state's poverty alleviation fund for the inaugural This Day Music Festival in the city of Lagos 2006. It suffers, this document suffers after the reality TV stim, uh, star Kim uh, Kardashian was reportedly paid $500,000 for a fleeting appearance in Lagos last week, angering Nigerian commentators. Well, that, that's standard stuff, you know. We, we, we often get conned into these charity things and all the rest of it because there's nothing more corrupt than charities. There's really nothing. It's the easiest money there is. In fact, the big foundations that run the world, like Rockefellers, Ford, Carnegie, and a whole bunch of other ones, they own trillions and trillions of dollars. And they can, as I say, pay off whole armies of NGOs or other kind of armies, for that matter, if they want. But they run the world. And they put money forward, too, to decide who becomes prime minister, presidents, and so on. They back them. And their members are all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, which, of course, the Rockefeller Foundations really control for America, and on behalf of the British counterpart, which is the Royal Institute for International Affairs. So anyway, as I say, here's the guy gone too far. Nothing will happen because if he's on board with the World Agenda and the IMF and the World Bank, he'll get off with it. They won't bother. And that's how things really work. It's all, say, politics, isn't it? And also Bono's uh, One Foundation, it's called One Foundation for his charity uh, drive. Who doesn't mind? I mean, he, he's been on television many times. They work together with the big bankers, you understand. And what they do is to ask governments to forgive third world countries' debts. And, and then, of course, the first world countries are asked to give them another loan, which the first world country borrows from the World Bank. Through the, and, and the IMF, through the IMF. And then you give them another loan. See, the, I don't understand, the ones who are loaning out the cash never lose. It's not written off and tossed to the wind. The countries back home are left with the, you're the, you're the guarantor for the debts. You have to pay it off. All the taxpayers pay it off. So the banks love this, this kind of, oh, please let the people off with it. And you say, okay, your prime minister or president say, okay, we'll let them off with it. And so they don't have to pay this again. 
but you're stuck with the debt, the taxpayer. And then your, your, your boss again will give them another loan. And, and this is a merry-go-round, beautiful merry-go-round between the World Bank, the IMF, and your, the heads of your countries that are put in place by other folk. So anyway, Bono's one foundation under fire for getting a little over 1% of its funds to charity. And the Anti-Poverty Foundation, one, is under pressure to explain its finances after it's revealed only a small percentage of money it raises reaches the needy. The non-profit organization set up by the U2 frontman received almost £9.6 million pounds in donations in 2008, but handed out only $118,000 to good causes. And it says the figures are published by the New York Post also show that £5.1 million pounds went towards paying salaries. When you set up a, a charity, you and your board members can draw as many millions as you want for your paychecks. There's no law against it. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. Most folk don't know, but when any big business or say factory type work uh, is considered to go into an area, any area, they do their, their, their various engineering surveys and health surveys and so on, and they actually work out um, the acceptable death rates that will be from the fallout of these, these plants that they put up. I knew the, an engineer, top engineer at one of the big nuclear plants and, 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 and Pickering, and he said to me that they did that, the whole survey for that area. And they knew there'd be lots of leukemia and cancers of all kinds. They would take youngsters too, uh, brain cancers and so on. But they actually worked out what was the acceptable death rate from that as opposed to the economic benefit from having the, the plants there for electricity. That's how they do it for everything. But China is just finding this out, of course. And this is um, that decades of reckless pollution have spawned a string of toxic cancer villages that Chinese government admitted for the first time yesterday. In the rare admission, Environment Ministry accepted the country's 30-year breakneck industrial boom and lax laws had caused many environmental disasters and led to a spike in cancer-related deaths. Since in recent years, toxic and hazardous chemical pollution has caused many environmental disasters, cutting off drinking water supplies and even leading to severe health and social problems such as what they call cancer villages. Like I said before, you find them around nuclear plants too in every country. The minister said in his damning report, and the factories in rural communities spout a deadly toxic cocktail and poison the soil, groundwater and air for hundreds of villages and millions of people. And major cities, including the capital of Beijing, are so badly affected by smog and forced to issue regular health warnings for residents to stay indoors to avoid hazardous air quality. Well, it was again a, a fast boom for China. They were built up by the West and given all the factories through the GATT Treaty uh, and that we didn't vote for, of course. All your factories went up and left you. And uh, they just put them over there and just didn't bother putting any filters on the stacks or anything else. And now you end up with that. Plus, we're dumping polluted water from the factories straight into rivers. Some of them ended up just like sludge, total sludge. Nothing lived in them. And I've had various documentaries out over the years on that. But that's the way it goes. So now they've got the, 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 the cancers going through the roof there. And that article I read yesterday, now the poor are selling their... And most folk in China are still poor, believe it or not, because it's a, it's a top-down, heavy, controlled system. 
and uh, which is again the model for the United Nations. I said that was the model for the world to copy was China, where they have all these millions of peasants at the bottom and this hierarchy of uh, hereditary, basically hereditary type commissars running it under a communist flag. So I guess, as I say, they're selling their kidneys off the poor folk now. I guess they'll, they'll drop in price now that they're all prone to cancer. They'll be second-class kidneys. This article, too, is interesting because you, there's nothing appears in the media, that, especially when it's something that's been out before under different guises. When it comes out again, it's, it's something that's being pushed. An idea has been pushed. And the idea is eugenics, of course. Eugenics has always been into what makes a person tick, what makes a person uh, disobey uh, authority, stuff like that. And they're all, they, at one time they'd measure your skull and they'd, they'd measure the space between your eyes, uh, your nose and all this kind of stuff. And they even had different kind of ears. If you had a kinky, a little kink in an ear, Back in the early 1920s, you were liable to be a prisoner, they claimed. And then they changed that to an elongated deer, then a short one. And they keep changing everything, of course. But now, once you bring science into it, you understand, science, once you bring science in, it's harder to argue. See, that's why they use all this nonsense. Eugenics is always eugenics. But it, it mentions that um, prisoners in Scotland jail should undergo tests for signs of brain injury. I've mentioned this before. And they prescribe mood-altering drugs to help bring down reoffending rates, right? So it's down to brain injury again. We're back to something's wrong with the brain because all the folk are supposed to be happy, obedient slaves, obedient to authority and never object and complain to anything. If you do uh, and you break tradition, there's something. They obviously have a brain injury. This is how they think. It's been here for about 100 years, this theory. And neuroscientists are in on the game, of course, and they're trying to say, oh, look at that, look at that little dark patch in the front there. That's, psychopaths have that too, apparently, but not all psychopaths break the law. You see? You forget that as well. And in fact, some of the articles I've put in the past and documentaries that were done by top leading psychologists, they, they tested themselves and found out they were psychopaths. <laughs> but they hadn't broken all the laws, you see. So it's all bunkum, but again, they always clutch at anything that's found out to be new, or some technology comes along and lets them see something new, and they immediately have their conclusions already. Studies have shown that up to half the prison population suffered brain trauma caused by accidents and assaults that could be a factor in persistent, persistent offending. Well, I mean, if you tested every boxer, what would you find there for brain trauma? But does it go out and cause all, you know, crime? No. They understand neuroscience wants to get really big into the, the acts of the, the legal system and the correctional system. You understand they're trying to meet themselves into a science. This is not just to end in prisons, it's to end up controlling all of us. Because they want you all eventually to be, have, be scanned uh, with these probabilities or possibility factors to see if they can categorize you as they follow you down through life. You understand? It's always been that way. So I'll put this link up tonight too. It's a PR thing, obviously. But they also want to use mood-altering drugs to help uh, bring down... Re- so reoffending can be brought down by putting them on drugs. Have you seen the crime rates in, in countries like the States? Uh, how many people are killed and knifed and all the rest of it and clubbed to death for a few bucks to buy drugs? Huh? Have you seen someone who will do anything when they go through withdrawal to get the money for the drugs? Hmm? <laughs> Back with more after this break.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big, big system. Every facet of your life is controlled. Everything you'll even like and watch is controlled. And they have psychologists working in lots of the programs and movies and psychiatrists too that that you watch. And I remember reading the article from the Coronation Street, the new Coronation Street that, were, that was that was uh, out a few years ago. And you saw this list of of psychiatrists and psychologists that work with them all the time, and sociologists and uh, healthcare workers and and all, and so I know it went because you see you're being programmed by everything that you watch. And that's a function of, it's weaponized. And of course the storyline generally is to bring in things that you don't like at all, or you have particular opinions about, and you don't like. So they, they try to bring you in, suck you into the stories, and, and, and get you watching it with a little bit of a, of a mystery involved, of course, hoping you'll keep watching it. Then they introduce that the main star is something or other that you probably would have objected to. And that's how they get you sucked in. But of course, the, the sex and violence is nothing new in it. It only has been stepped up and stepped up as we become really so jaded with it that nothing bothers us anymore. Because you see, eventually, you'll be get dragged off the streets yourself too for looking at the camera the wrong way. It's watching you, you see. And so we're all being trained. And after all the scandals at the BBC, which they really, really covered over, it's on the go. It's still the same thing as going on the go. Same people working there yet. Same agenda. Remember, what's for the government? The government always uses the BBC for its propaganda outlets, and propaganda is also indoctrination. But it says the BBC Trust ruled, it says here, that um, the episode, this, this television episode of a long-standing drama, uh, which includes scenes of a prison officer assaulting a victim in a toilet cubicle with a baton, with a baton, and you can imagine what that's for. Maybe there's a lot of flies there or something. Was too explicit for the series. The broadcaster received 632 complaints about the episodes, which one complainant said he'd found extremely upsetting and thoroughly nasty. And they're at it right away after, as you see, the scandal things. This, this is this is the trash that they put out there. Silent Witness, which stars Amelia Fox, is now in its 15th series. The offending episode is broadcast 22nd of April 2012 at 9 and 10 p.m. 26th, the complaints were made because scheduling had overrun, meaning that viewers tuning into the BBC One at 10 p.m. would have seen the program's conclusion. And that's how they'll do it. You see, they'll wait till the end and then they get that pool. So they've got sex, which is meant to turn folk on, by the way, coupled with violence, pseudomasochism, and, and, and this is projected into the population. It's intentional. And so there, they, they put it in at the conclusion. One man said he turned on his TV to watch the news at 10 and, and was confronted by a, a seriously disturbing scenes of utter degradation, extreme violence with sexual overtones. Then responding to the, com- the com- uh, complaint, the program's PR producer said, it was not an attempt to gratuitously shock the audience, but was part of a storyline establishing a policewoman's complicity in the brutality of a male prison officer. She argued that it had been scheduled after the watershed and that after 50 series, audiences would be familiar with the nature of content included in The Silent Witness. So they must be building you up to this one scene after another. It gets more and more uh, graphic. This is how they do things, you understand. And she pretty well admits it there. In other words, if you were watching up to the 15 series, the, the audience would be familiar with the nature of content included in Silent Witness. You've been degraded all along, <laughs> bit by bit. 
in its court, in its ruling, the BBC Trust said that viewers were left to no doubt that an act of sexual violence was being carried out, even though the sexual attack wasn't shown. The complaints director said he felt the programme makers maybe may have misjudged the feelings of the audience about this sort of material and the, really, the, the leeway that the audience would permit them based on previous episodes. So... I'll continue, of course, and and also have the ones who've been who will be into this stuff now that want them to come back anyway. Don't put them off there, keep them going because we like this kind of you know trash. Uh, but that's what you get in this day and age, isn't it? That's how everyone walks around cursing and swearing now. Yes, they hear it all from the TV and the movies. And children do it too because that's where they get it as well. It completely alters culture. That's what it's for. <laughs> it's the purpose of it. And also, too, in Britain, uh, they're cutting back benefits to, you know, tax benefits uh, from councils and so on at the expense of getting people with no money to pay up. Now, it's affecting a lot of the disabled folk. And, and uh, it's just unlike the bedroom tax. Now, if you get an extra room, you get taxed on that now, too. This is getting crazy. But, you know, there's no end to this as we get plundered. That's, that's our only purpose is to be plundered at the bottom. Which only affects tenants of councils and house associations. Changes to council tax benefits from April will also affect owner-occupiers and private tenants. It's currently claimed by 5.9 million recipients and is the most widely claimed means-tested benefit. Local authorities have been asked by the government to replace council tax benefit with new local schemes to reduce the amount of council tax relief councils can pay out. So, as I say, the main thing is, I've already had some people in Britain who are on, who are disabled, on, on, who get this, this relief, uh, really worried that they'll be on the street shortly. But that's the agenda now. Well, you see, we're, actually this next article tie in with it. Disabled children cost too much and should be put down, meaning like an animal at the vet, you know. So who says this? A counsellor. One of these counsellors, of course, is probably all for this tax cut. On the, on the people who are disabled To stand down after his outrageous rant It says um, Councillor Colin Brewer refuses to quit And has apologised to Disability Cornwall He told BBC Radio That the timing wasn't good because of upcoming elections It's all a bit to do with timing right? And um, It says here That um, the councillor told a charity worker Who helps youngsters with special needs That disabled children cost the council too much money And should be put down Brewer, 68, an independent councillor at Cornwall Council, has refused to stand down after making the depraved remark to the member of a charity during an information event. What he said has received widespread condemnation, including that of Katie Price, whose son Harvey is severely disabled. Mr Brewer admitted that he made the comment to provoke a reaction. He's telling the truth in that little part, provoke a reaction. Because you understand, they have shock jocks out there. And they tend to get a following, you know. And um, the more foul often they can be, uh, the more following they get. And because we're also all, most of the sites are totally degraded now, you see. And it also gets a stimulation of talk, uh, pro and con, should you have said that, should you not, etc. Because there, 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 remember, I've read last year from uh, a panel of experts, bioethicists, talking about the same thing at the BBC. Try and get focused. Yeah, let's look at this whole thing differently. Is it better to euthanize them at birth? You see. So he's trying to provoke a reaction. So he's in with some group or other, and has now been forced to apologise in writing for the offensive remark. However, he remains defiant and refuses to stand down, saying it's not something I would consider resigning over. I bet he wouldn't. 
it says, um, I believe I'm doing a good job. So that's what you've got in the world today. And as I say, everything's got a, 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 a meaning behind it. There's a purpose behind it to get you all talking. See, when you're familiarized with a topic that you didn't used to be, you'd have a closed mind on something, which is good. Society used to exist pretty well on closed minds to all other things that are weird and detrimental to them. Once you get to open up, well, let's see this in a different way, a different point of view, uh, then you're done for. Someone's got a big plan for you. And from Australia, it says it's official, and this is, uh, I think it's Lord Monkton, he says, what I was held down and banned for telling the recent UN climate conference in Doha is true. There has been no global warming for 17 years. Rajenda Prachari, the railroad engineer who heads the UN's accident-prone climate panel, the IPCC, recently admitted this fact here in Australia. The Hadley CRU temperature record shows no warming for 18 to 9 or 19 years. RSS satellites show none for 23 years. Not one computer model predicted that. And Pachari said that the zero trend would have to persist for 30 to 40 years before it mattered. In other words, before they could say that something was wrong. Scientists disagree naturally because they're all getting paid money for it. In 2008, the, the, the modelers wrote that more than 14 years without global warming would indicate a discrepancy between their predictions and reality. By their own criterion, they've crossly, persistently, profitably, very profitably, exaggerated man-made global warming. The 17-year flatline gives Australia's $180,000 a year part-time climate commissar, Tim Flannery, not bad, eh? A problem. It says, in January, he, he, crowned, he crowed with that extreme weather like Sydney's recent heat wave had been predicted for decades. Skeptics, he wailed, continue to ignore the thousands of hot weather records tumbling worldwide. Yet without statistically significantly warming for nigh on two decades, recent extreme weather cannot be blamed on global warming. This is warming that was predicted yesterday but has not happened for up to 23 years until today. Cannot have been caused, uh, caused yesterday's droughts and flooding rains now, can it? But anyway, Flannery relentlessly gives only one side of the story when it's his duty to give both. He's carefully silent about the thousands of cold weather records that have also tumbled in recent years, more than 650 records this week in the U.S. alone for cold weather. And the Northern Hemisphere is enduring one of its coldest winters in a 100 years. Before the usual suspects try to blame that too on global warming, the IPCC says, unsurprisingly, that warmer weather means less snow. <laughs> Sea ice extent in the Arctic has reached a record high for this time of year, despite a record low last summer. It always thaws in the summer and packs on ice in the winter, you understand. And it says in the Arctic, sea ice has been increasing for the last 33 years. There will be further extreme weather in the coming decades. It will not matter whether the world warms or cools. Extreme weather is not the new normal. It's the old normal, but the new slogan. Best kept secret in climate science is extreme weather or tipping points will be no likelier if the planet warms than it cools, for the climate behaves like a chaotic object. What mathematicians call bifurcations can occur at any time. So I'll put this up tonight as well for those who still are following uh, that part. But it's crazy, isn't it, too, as we get sprayed like bugs from all the aerial spraying and stuff. And there's not a peep out in that. No, 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 I'll talk on it at the top. Also, it also takes about two years or more for, for anything that's been said uh, on shows like this one to get into the mainstream. And eventually they catch on, probably because they've got not much news out there. I mean, even all their sex stories are jaded. They've put so much out over the years that folk don't bother reading them anymore. They get jaded. But the Daily Mail, 
says a swine flu jab uh, linked to sleep disorder. And it fears that one million children received a jab that can increase risk of narcolepsy. And that was the pandemics, of course, which was the main vaccine used in the UK during the swine flu pandemic three years ago. And it said almost a million children were given the swine flu jab, which put them at increased risk of the sleep disorder and narcolepsy. The new research says the pandemics vaccine carries a 14-fold extra risk of triggering narcolepsy in which sufferers can fall asleep suddenly and unexpectedly. Well, it happened in Finland. Lots of them happened there, and I think some in Sweden too. And I've got the articles here I've read over the years. It says, for every 55,000 doses delivered, it's estimated around one child develops the condition. And it was given to 6 million people in high-risk groups, including children and those with conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, and asthma. At the height of the pandemic between October 2009 and 2010, more than 850,000 English children aged 6 months to 16 years were given the vaccine. It's also given to 170,000 people, including children, when supplies of seasonal flu vaccine were in short supply between October 2010 and February 2011. And it says it shows that children vaccinated here were also more likely to develop the disorder. Although experts, the experts that said it was okay, you know, stress pandemics has not been used for nearly two years, and the period of highest risk was within a month, a few months of getting the jab. So folks don't line up to get the jabs, all stuff to get squirted into their bodies. And, well, you can't really help them, can you? Because the brainwashing is superb, isn't it? Just massive propaganda campaigns. Massive, isn't it? Also, as his whistleblower Mark Klein provided uh, this now six-year-old photo of a secret room in San Francisco AT&T switching center, which he claimed housed data mining equipment that enables the government to spy on electronic communications. So divided Supreme Court halted a legal challenge Tuesday to a one-secret warrantless surveillance project that gobbles up Americans' electronic communications, a program that Congress eventually legalized in 2008 and again in 2012. The 5-4 to four decision in the PDF link, I'll put up tonight too on that, by Justice Samuel Alito, was a clear victory for the President Barack Obama's administration, which, like its predecessor, argued that government wiretapping laws cannot be challenged in court. What's more, the outcome marks the first time the Supreme Court decided any case touching on the eavesdropping program that was secretly employed in the wake of 9-11 by then-President George W. Bush, and eventually codified into law twice by Congress. A high court majority concluded that because the eavesdropping is done secretly, the American Civil Liberties Union, journalists and human rights groups that sued to nullify the law have no legal standing to sue, because it's done secretly, so you can't sue them. This is because they have no evidence they are being targeted, because <laughs> it's done in secret, right? Some of the plaintiffs, which the court labeled respondents, are also journalists and, amongst other things, claimed that 2008 legislation has chilled their speech and violated their Fourth Amendment privacy rights. Well, it's true, it's training you, if you're a journalist, not, not to say certain things and just talk about the usual rubbish. You know, that's, that's true enough. Now, a controversial strategy to combat Internet piracy took effect Monday. This is interesting. Meaning subscribers who illegally share movies or songs could be punished by losing web access or having their broadband speeds slowed to a crawl. The new copyright alert system or six strike system is a result of a partnership between major internet service providers and the entertainment industry to deter theft of copyright material online. The film and recording industry say online piracy costs them billions of dollars in lost revenue each year. 
a trade group representing the entertainment industry and internet providers, announced the move in a blog post on Monday. I'll put all these links up tonight at cuttingthroughtheminutes.com. Under the new system, internet subscribers accused of online privacy will receive a series of alerts. Critics have called the system six strikes because the six copyright violations is expected to lead to punishment from the internet providers. The details of each internet provider's alert system are still unknown. I guess it's top secret, eh? But each one is expected to be slightly different. Under Verizon's proposed plan, which leaked online last month, alleged copyright violators could have their internet speeds slowed to dial-up speeds for two or three days. I, I would never know because they gave me that anyway on satellite. This is under Time Warner's Cable's plan. The company will temporarily suspend internet service to alleged copyright violators until they call a customer service rep and agree to stop pirating copyright material. And it says, um, it says in a blog post Monday, Joel Lesser, Executive Director of the Center for Copyright Information, wrote that the alerts are meant to edu- educate rather than punish and will direct them to legal alternatives and allow them to seek an independent review if they believe they are innocent. Under Verizon's proposed plan, alleged copyright violators must pay $35 to have an arbitrator review where they are guilty of internet piracy. If the arbitrator rules in their favor, their money is refunded and their internet speeds go untouched. Some industry observers have questioned whether the alert system will be effective. Some note that internet users who frequently engage in illegal file sharing often use private networks or proxy services to disguise location of their computers. Others worry that small businesses that provide Wi-Fi access could be accused of copyright violations if their customers engaged in illegal file sharing on the networks. So everything's getting controlled and policed and everything else like it was meant to happen when they first gave you the internet. First they get you hooked, then they police it, then they rule you and your thoughts. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll go to, there's a caller hanging on there, from John from New York, if he's still there. You still there, John? Yes. Maybe yeah, go I'm, ahead. Yes. Uh, just, you know, just thinking about this propaganda matrix we're living in, I was looking at, I was, as a kid, growing up actually in New York City, watching even uh, Sesame Street, even living in New York City, living in an all-white neighborhood, seeing multicultural, it was a little strange from growing in. Growing up. Looking at it later, even look at the founders of Sesame Street. Uh, uh, one of them is Lord Morrison, yeah. the CFR, Vice President of the Merkel Group. Um, he actually lives down in my neighborhood. I'm looking at the, like the tax records when they show all the donations or political donations. I'm looking at this fellow, and he don't even donate to the Republican or the Democrats. He only makes one donation for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And now it's to a group called Emily's List, which is really an abortion rights yeah. Uh, yeah. organization. So this so-called benevolent lover of children bringing Sesame Street teaching kids to read and learn and actually wants to kill, kill them all. So that's no right. surprise to you, but just interesting. I yes. guess there's so- soccer moms out there. That's right. Uh, and it works every time because, again, everyone is pretty decent and like charities. It sounds good. Charity sounds up there in the sky somewhere. Uh, and you have no idea what they're really up to or where the money is going. Uh, and uh, and folk would be shocked, absolutely shocked, to find out uh, exactly where money is going. I mean, disastrously so, because 
because these big charities, are, are, there's no no trick dirty enough. They they use the top. They've got so much money too. They, they use the top marketers to dream up new ways of uh, terminology, basically, to to sell the idea to the people who give generously and have no idea that these people literally are the biggest sharks in the world. And they do have a negative agenda on the, on the general population. They want to bring down populations and so on. And it's like family planning. You don't call it the abortion industry, you call it family planning. And, uh, of course, Margaret Sanger said that children are weeds. Uh, she wanted to, to destroy different races altogether. And, uh, and she's still lauded by the top eugenicists today for her acts. So people have no idea as we're giving money to these things that what it was really, really for. People are still giving money to these organizations as they go aborting children across the world because they go under women's health. Issues. It sounds like you're going to give good health care to women. It's for abortion across the third world. But they're all into this stuff. Uh, and you, you just can't really help people who get sucked in so easily. If they get sucked in on that and they believe things at face value, they get sucked into everything that's out there. Uh, and uh, I've always said we're given our leaders and people get sucked into them. Uh, they really are given their leaders. Every facet of it is given their, they're given their leaders. But thanks for calling. And, and also, I mean, I mean, just as an example, John Pilger, who's done a lot of good stuff out there on what's happening with big corporations and so on, and um, and he's up in this article here on on the Marxist blog. He's going to he's going to speak at one of the top world Marxist meetings 2013 conference. This is a world-renowned journalist, author, and documentary filmmaker. Began in 1958 in his home in Australia. He regards eyewitnesses as the essence of good journalism and so on. And he goes on about the corporations, etc., etc. But uh, here he is as a speaker at the, the top Marxist conference for world Marxism. And uh, Noam Chomsky, I don't know if he's gone there too, but he also gives him praise in this article at the Marxist site. And other ones too are uh, given praise for what he's done. He's done a lot of good stuff, but they want to bring in the other side of the same coin. See, both the sides meet on the same road, down the roads. The controlled society, expertly run. Same thing. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.